by nature of identifying the purpose of these meetings and exactly what your role is in them, it allowed us to think about who needs to be there and who doesn't need to be there. So some people get time back and it provides the people at Red Door with an understanding about why we have these meetings, that they are important. Welcome to Want to Work There, a podcast that explores what really makes a company a great place to work. I'm your host, Jill Felska, and together we'll explore not only what goes into building a great company culture, but also exactly how to implement those best practices within your own workplace. If you're here, you believe that a better world of work is possible, and I can't wait to build it together. Let's go. Welcome back. Happy Tuesday, everyone. I am so excited to be chatting with Kate DeYoung today. Kate and I first met back when I was doing an event series in San Diego. Topics quite similar to what we're doing on the podcast now, but we were doing things in person, if you can remember what that's like. So she had such an incredible story to share when she came and did a session for the event series. And so I was excited to have her back and to share some more knowledge with us today. But before I introduce Kate, let me give you a little bit of a background. Now, Kate is like me, and she sort of had a variety of jobs throughout her career before she ended up in the employee experience space. So she was an ESL instructor for college-bound students in Indonesia. She has worked as a web developer, a software trainer, a project manager, and a director of learning and organizational development. But when I met Kate, she was the VP of employee experience at Red Door Interactive. And since then, she's actually in sort of her latest or newest career iteration. And she's still providing guidance and support to Red Door, but she's also providing guidance to other companies as an organizational development specialist and a leadership development consultant. Then on top of all that, she's also volunteering for some incredible causes that are super important to her. And I have a feeling that you guys can resonate with loving having the time and space to do that. So with all that to say, Kate, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. Hi. It's good to see you. Hello. It's good to see you too. So I would love to hear a little bit about how you kind of went through this career path that involved a lot of different things and then ended up in employee experience. Yeah. I'd be glad to talk about that. I'm actually going to maybe give you the lowdown on working at Red Door Interactive because I've been working there now for 18 years. It's the longest span of time I've ever done anything. And I started as a full-time web developer there and uh, moved in through that to project management. At one point, though, our president said to me, hey, you have a lot of talent and a lot of interest in helping people become better at what they are, better in their profession, better people, better communicators. And at that time, Red Door was small and we had the classic HR group, which was one person doing all the compliance, 
all the legal, all the payroll, all the, you know, so it, it was a one person deal. And there wasn't a lot of room for the people development side of HR, which to me is the really great part of it. I don't resonate as much with the legality and the, all of the compliance. So I jumped at the chance to move out of project management away from client work and into sort of back to my roots because I was trained as a teacher, essentially an ESL teacher. So I became the director of people development, which gave HR sort of a new life at Red Door because it expanded its role in general. And then after several years, many years actually, and having that team grow and bringing on, you know, an assistant and morphing it a little bit, we took that next step and I became the VP of employee experience. And the idea there was to expand and get rid of this classic, sometimes negative connotation of HR and turn it into everybody who worked in our group should approach their job, no matter what their actual role was, with the idea of employee experience. And what is it that we do in our roles that gives our employees the best experience possible at Red Door? And that might be people development, it might be professional development and leadership training. It might be just an amazing experience if you have a question about your benefits and you don't know where to turn to. And it might even be office operations and whether we ran out of the Cheez-Its that everybody loves. Like it encompassed employee experience and actually even had tendrils into alumni experience and candidate experience. So that idea, and I think it's becoming more and more popular. I think that Red Door found a way early on compared to where we are now in general with employee experience. We were able to capture that idea and start viewing our roles as really important to affect employee experience. So it's a little bit of background there. Thank you, because I think you touched on something that's so prevalent and probably has been for like the last five or 10 years, but it's sort of this divergence from the understanding of what HR is versus how do we become like a people-centric company. And I guess I'm curious, when you moved into that VP of employee experience role, did you have people on your team who were focused on compliance or legal or was that still a separate team? We made it all one team on purpose. Like we purposely didn't have, you're separate over there, you deal with the policies and the terminations and whatever. No, it's all the same thing because it has to be because even those what I consider dry, other people don't consider compliance dry. They resonate with it. They love it, right? But you can bring that to your role. You still have to give your employees the experience that treats them like family, like even maybe we'll go off a little bit on a tangent here. This is idea now and it's sort of morphing, but especially with a lot of understanding about diversity and inclusion, Are you really trying to envelope somebody in your culture and hire the people that already fit in your culture? Or are you trying to bring more people into 
your culture and learn how to work with a lot of different types of people. So that's hiring, that's development, that's day-to-day communications, that's the project managers understanding how to work with the team. And so that's, again, employee experience and understanding that we can be expansive and inclusive. And it's all of those different roles have to be able to do that. I could not agree more. And I want to follow you down this tangent, but I'm going to keep my ADHD brain in check here this morning. We'll save that for another day. We will save that for another day. (laughs) Yes. Culture fit versus culture ad is a whole nother top. We're going to have to do another episode. But I will say, just to circle back, I think one of the things that people who are thinking about this career path or interested in this career path, but do not have a traditional HR background... I just think it's important for people to hear that like you, there are ways to come up in this work, especially if the things that lend itself to the role come very naturally to you as a human. You do not have to have that traditional background. And I didn't either. So I think it's just important to hear. And I think it's really cool for more people to think about how do we encapsulate our HR or people ops or employee experience function? What do we call it? And Why does that matter what we call it? And why does that matter what the purpose is? So thank you for expanding on that because I think there's a lot of different ways to look at how those pieces fit together in an organization. And I think a lot of companies are still sort of wrestling with that. Like who, where do people sit and what is it called and how do we all work together? So I love that you guys were really intentional about that early on at Red Door. And I feel like just everything that I know about what you guys did at Red Door, I think it worked out. So it's for the best. Yes. Okay. So one of the things, speaking of these things that you guys figured out and kind of took a great, unique, cool approach to, we were talking the other week about meetings. Yes. Yeah. You were telling me, I mean, meetings are this, I was going to say necessary evil. I think some people feel that way, (laughs) but they're obviously something that exists within every organization in a lot of different iterations. But you guys really decided to take a look at, to examine how meetings were being held at Red Door. And I guess I'm curious, before we get into sort of what you learned, what was it that triggered you guys to even do that exploration? Right. Yes. In my previous life as a project manager, I was the organizer of a lot of meetings because to follow through in a project from start to finish, you need to gather people for many different purposes and get things done. And then you also need to allow the subject matter experts to not be in so many meetings so they can get their work done, right? It's a balance. And we were having a tough time with a couple of things. One, those kind of typical project management type meetings that they're status meetings. They're recurring once a week, probably week in, week out. Recurring meetings of whatever topic can get pretty stale. Like they start out really productive, but then week after week or month after month or whatever your cycle is, they just start to fall flat and people sort of know what's going to happen and they're not so sure they're contributing. And so do they come or do they not come prepared? 
So recurring meetings were a problem because they felt like there were, especially if you were on a couple different projects, you were spending all your time just giving status. And then another problem was we would get to a, a meeting and we've always been pretty good about in our meeting notices saying exactly what the purpose of that meeting is, but we weren't very good at requiring people to be prepared when they came to the meeting. And then we also weren't always really good at identifying whether we had a bloated meeting with too many people and we were just inviting everybody who might need to know one-tenth of the information that was going to be conveyed at that meeting. So too many participants who actually weren't actively needed there coming unprepared or not even realizing you needed to prepare for something to make it productive. So those were some of the pain points we were feeling. That's what we tackled. We've always been very purposeful at Red Door about process improvement, including, and in this case, getting direct feedback from a variety of different roles and people around the company to make sure we're understanding the full issue, not just my observations as a project manager, for example, but everybody's, the participants, the presenters, the people who create deliverables that needed to get feedback. What are their observations and feedback about attending meetings at Red Door? So we gathered a lot of feedback. We parsed through that feedback and we came up with a couple of different things. We came up with a better framework and literally a meeting template that everybody was required to include in their Outlook meeting invites don't skip it, don't erase it, actually use it and fill it out so people can know what to expect from this meeting. And we also identified several different types of meetings that had different ways that people should expect to participate or people should expect to be prepared for. So that was our first iteration. We did this probably almost 10 years ago it's morphed a couple of times, or maybe not even morphed, I would say it's expanded and improved several times. So over the course of the years, we have that same framework, we use it, we make sure that new hires get onboarded into how Red Door runs meetings and what you can expect when you attend a meeting. So we're pretty thorough with it. I love that, the expectation setting. I mean, that is meeting culture exists whether you're intentional about it or not. And you guys were really intentional. So when you were thinking about rolling this out, I love that you guys collected a lot of different feedback and opinions kind of across the board so that you knew you were getting sort of everyone's understanding and, and what they were seeing and feeling and wanting. How did you roll it out? Did you start with one team? Did you go company wide? Like, how did you approach that change? Well, I mean, first of all, um, rolling it out and getting buy-in was not hard because people were feeling the pain. Something had to be done. People were asking for, well, mostly people were asking for fewer meetings. We're a very collaborative company. The type of work, we're a marketing company and we are full service. So all of the different parts of marketing have to talk to each other if they're going to do the job. And so we couldn't cut out meetings completely, but we rolled out and gave a company-wide training. It was a required training. So whenever we do required trainings at Red Door, we run it at least in two different time slots. So people can choose a time slot that works for them. 
And we also record it. So if they couldn't make a live training, then they could watch the recording. So we did a training about it. We implemented our new meeting invitation template technologically. It's like we created a template and we added it into Outlook so that every time you hit the new meeting button, it's already there. Your whole meeting agenda information is there and then you fill out what you need to which forces people to think about the parts of a meeting and what you should plan ahead so that it's a productive meeting. We can go into that in just a little bit. And then we were very purposeful in that training to clarify the different roles of people when they're in a meeting. Sometimes you might be two roles. You might be both the organizer of the meeting and you might be a presenter in the meeting, but those are two different roles. And in that situation, you need to think about your requirements and your expectations, the expectations of you for both of those roles. You might just be a participant. And yes, we have expectations for you if you're a participant in a meeting. You can't just sit there like a lump on the log and scroll through your Facebook or do other work. You have to be an active participant, right? You might be assigned a role where we're going to ask you to monitor the topic and the time because the meeting organizer or the presenter shouldn't be required to try to both keep track of the time and the process and everything that they're trying to convey to the meeting attendees. They should be able to rely on somebody to help keep that thing moving. We even have a remote meeting monitor because we'd never have a meeting where everybody's sitting in the room. And I'm even talking 10 years ago, pre-COVID. We've always had people have the ability to work from home or call into a meeting from afar, or we work with clients that aren't in the room, right? So that idea of having 15 people sitting in a big conference room, chit-chatting while the presentation is going on and the people remote not being able to track what's going on, made for horrible meeting experiences for those remote people. So we had this idea of this role of, okay, you're the remote monitor. If you're sitting in the room and you're the remote monitor, you're the one who snaps your fingers or taps on the table or says, hey folks in the room, time to knock off the chit chat. We have people on the line that can't hear. You know, So we went down to that level of detail on meeting roles. And then we talked about meeting etiquette and expectations of all of those roles, and even calendar etiquette, how to make sure that your calendar is available for meeting organizers so that they know if you are available or if not. And if you need to block time to do personal work, you can do that. We have a set of calendar, I guess, norms that we've all agreed to. And we got to that agreement by having the, well, first of all, getting feedback from people and then having the training, listening to the comments, seeing how it worked, maybe tweaking the norms a little bit if it wasn't working very well. We've even introduced a no meeting Friday process where we don't schedule meetings on Friday unless absolutely necessary. That has gone over really well. It helps people have a day where they know they're just going to be able to concentrate full on 100%. Does also mean that the other four days of the week get more meetings on them. So there's a trade-off there. But those are some of the things I think that with the rollout and the training, we were able to convey and then hold people accountable 
when they didn't meet the expectations. Oh, you didn't do the pre-work? Hmm, here's the list of everybody who did do the pre-work. If your name's not on the list, please make sure next time you get the pre-work done. So elaborate a little bit on that accountability, because I think that is oftentimes with change management, the part where people struggle the most, because it's like, whose role is it to hold someone accountable? And what does that dynamic look like? So how did you guys hold people accountable? Know if it was happening? Know, like, was it a peer related thing? Was it a manager related thing? Yeah, I think it really is mostly peer and meeting organizer. The person who puts the meeting on the calendar is the one who's going to need to make that call or have that conversation, right? If they notice that somebody hasn't done what they need to do. And a lot of times that fell on the project managers or the business managers creating, especially these clients geared meetings, right? I think the corporate team, our employee experience team was responsible for, I've been responsible for creating trainings where the expectation is the student, the attendee has to finish some online work before they come to something live so that we can be productive. And there's a variety of ways. First of all, I'm going to back up a tiny bit and tell you that one of our core values at Red Door is 100% jerk-free. And that means that we find positive, productive ways to have conversations that are 100% jerk-free, but it doesn't mean we shy away from conversations when we need to have them. So if you need to call somebody out for not being prepared for a meeting, then you do it, but you do it in a kind way. And it might be after the meeting, having a one-on-one conversation and saying, hey, you didn't prepare. And that means that this was the effect, right? By you not preparing, we couldn't get X, Y, and Z finished. And that's going to cause more work down the line, blah, 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 you know, whatever explaining that sort of what the effect of the bad behavior was. So that's just like classic accountability training. We do like with managers, accountability training, we talk to people about how to delegate and hold people responsible and accountable. So I think it did fit naturally in. And you can understand in any particular occasion that sometimes a person wouldn't be able to get pre-work done or something happens and they couldn't even make the meeting. Well, you deal with that one-on-one. If you start to see a pattern, that's another part of accountability. When you see a pattern happening, then you know it's time to address it more strongly, right? And I think that's part of employee experience and my role and the people who have continued on in an employee experience at Red Door is we're there to help managers and leads learn how to have those conversations in a way that would work well, right? Thank you for explaining that because I think that is one of the things that people can struggle with when they want to see a change happen is how do we follow up on the other end. And I'm curious, so you guys did accountability training, which I love, and that was part of overall the experience within the company. Did you guys make that exact tie? And I know this is like a really specific detailed ask, but I know that the people who listen to this podcast want to go out and execute. So, you know, when you guys were thinking about this and having that training about here is how the meetings are getting rolled out, did you also have training for that meeting organizer that was like, here's what you do if someone repeatedly doesn't 
show up and do the work? Like, was that part of it? Or at that point, was it so much of a norm already for your culture that people already had that skill and that already was the thing that was happening? Yeah, that's a great question. We didn't have that specific training, but I will say that, well, there's two parts here, right? Meeting organizers, and I already alluded to this, are usually project managers and business managers, and they're on our client services team. And they do have, when they're onboarding people, they have their own role-specific training onboarding. And part of that is how to run a really productive meeting. And so, yes, that does get addressed with the people that usually are the meeting inviters. The other part of it is we are really clear in the training. So I do think that the initial training about how we run meetings at Red Door, we are explicit about what the expectations are for the participants. And we put the onus back on the participants too. There's a couple of things. We say, if you're asked to come to a meeting, you need to assume that the meeting organizer really thought about it and that they want you there for a very specific reason. That's why when you come to a meeting, we don't want you to do double time on another project. If you really don't have the time to attend that meeting, let the meeting organizer know with plenty of time so that they can talk with you and figure out if there's another way to get your feedback and and participant, your brain, right, for that meeting. Or if you really aren't that needed, which hopefully doesn't happen very often. We, We really stressed in this training, we do stress in this training that the meeting organizer has to be thoughtful about what is the exact purpose of this meeting? What is the desired outcome of the meeting? What exactly is on the agenda, including by timestamp? Like we're going to spend five minutes on this. We're going to spend 25 minutes on that. We're going to spend 15 minutes on this. And at the end, we're going to know that we've hit our outcome. And then they know who they should invite to get all of that stuff done. So then if you get to a meeting and you're a participant and you're realizing you just don't understand what your role is in this, what you're expected to contribute, then it is fine to raise your hand and or chat on the side because most of our stuff is through Teams or you know it's online and say to the meeting organizer, I'm really not seeing my role here. Do you mind if I leave? Or did you have something specific that you needed from me? And a person can't excuse themselves from a meeting. And there's no hard feelings. There's no bad look upon them because they've had that short conversation with the meeting organizer. So because we've trained everybody about this, then it becomes easier to hold people accountable if they didn't do that pre-work or if they aren't participating or if they appear to be doing double time on another project or their mind is wandering, then it's easier to hold them accountable because we know that everybody has been trained in this. They have agency, right? I love that word. It's my new favorite word. They have agency as a participant to say, I'm not quite sure I'm going to be helpful here. Let me know what you want or if you're okay, I'll leave the meeting. They can do that and it's not a problem. 
I know that when we originally talked about this, and we're still going to go there because I know everyone is like, tell me the structure of the meetings and what the things are. I want to know what those are. But I think this was such an important detour. And you have just given so many good nuggets about how to create intentional behavior within an organization. And I think that spans so many things. And we sometimes forget how clear we need to be with people, how many times we need to say something, how we can communicate to people what it is that we want and what it is that is okay, because we all come from our own backgrounds. And someone may have come from an organization where if you left a meeting, that was like a major, major disciplinary action. Like you don't do that. And so in their brain, they're like, no, you don't do that. So like when you have people who really know what's clear and as a large team know what's clear and start to take those behaviors, it makes it easier for people who the behavior might not be as normal for to go, oh, this is okay. And this is safe here. And that is how culture becomes intentional. And that is how change happens. And I couldn't miss the opportunity for you to sort of share what you guys did there because it's not an easy thing. And I think you guys took a really, really thoughtful approach. And I am just grateful that you could share that because I think it's going to be really helpful for people. Being a great manager is hard, like really hard. I used to preach that it was every company's duty to provide management training for their entire team. But then I became a director of people and culture for a SaaS startup and realized just what kind of barriers were in the way. Design the training in-house? I could never find the time. Hire a third party to come and teach it? Sure, but then I'd need to re-engage them every time a new manager joined and I just didn't have the budget for that kind of long-term engagement. In my head, I envisioned the startup version of management training a self-led reusable program that consisted of audio lessons, thoughtful exercises, helpful templates, and an internal facilitation plan for cohort-style learning. So I built it. And it quickly became apparent that I wasn't the only person looking for a more cost-effective, scalable solution. If you also fall into that camp and want to learn more, you can visit wanttoworkthere.com backslash management training. That's wanttoworkthere.com backslash management training. All right, let's get back to the show. All that said, (laughs) let's talk about these meetings and what you learned. I guess I'm thinking maybe the best way, but you tell me, would be what were the different meeting structures that you guys... So you said there was a couple different types of meetings that you guys identified. What were those? Is that a good place to start? I think that's a great place to start. Exactly. So I think that this will span across many different industries. But again, we are a a services industry. We're a marketing company. So we work with clients on projects and or retainers. And we typically have a tried and true process and different types of meetings that fall within that, right? And then we have also our idea of internal meetings, but a lot of times our internal meetings can also follow that structure because we run our business like we would like our clients to be running their business, if that makes sense. So that being said, 
we have something that we call RDI workflow meetings, okay? So the purpose of any sort of workflow meeting is to update and align. We try to always have like a, a nugget that tells us why do we even have workflow meetings? The overall purpose of that is to communicate accurate and complete information and get in front of potential risks, issues, and challenges. And so this could be a client workflow meeting like a weekly resourcing meeting or a weekly status meeting or a weekly risk and issue meeting with a client or internally. And then some of the things that we do internally, not client oriented, but that we want to make sure that everybody on the team is updated and aligned. We have this idea of daily scrums and also daily huddles. So a scrum, which is a typical website development term, is just getting everybody on the team together for five minutes. All you do is do a really quick round robin. The organizer makes sure that it keeps moving and you provide what you did yesterday, what you're going to do today. So you have to have already really looked at your day and thought about what needs to happen and any stucks for getting that thing done. And if there are stucks, if it's quick, you can spend a few minutes from other team members giving support to help you get unstuck or the organizer realizes this is something we should take offline. Thank goodness we discovered it in a daily scrum so you didn't sit and twiddle your thumb all day long trying to figure out how to get rid of this stuff that you're in, right? So that's that daily idea. We do that also internally for departments. We call them our huddles. These are those recurring meetings that again, can get stale and can become so rote that they seem to lose their purpose so it's up to the organizer host to make sure that they freshen and enliven and don't let people drone on and on and know when to call the meeting to an end and put a pair of people together to work on a stuck, right? So that's workflow meetings. Whenever we identify a type of meeting, besides saying what the purpose is and give examples, right, of what they are in our company, we have a list of requirements. I don't know if you want to go really into detail at this. I can also, maybe it would be helpful at the end of this to pull out this set of five or six slides that I have of the different types of meetings that we run at Red Door and then PDF that and use that as a resource. Okay. So you have these different meeting types and then you had mentioned something about requirements. Could you sort of walk us through one of the meetings? Like what would those requirements look like? Right, right. So we were talking about these workflow meetings, these recurring meetings and a set of requirements for workflow meetings at Red Door is one, the organizer provides a clear agenda with purpose, topics, meeting roles, and logistics. That's kind of a given actually across all of our meeting types, but it's especially important with these recurring ones. The second requirement is the organizer shares materials and provides pre-work prior to the meeting. Um, that would be like if we had a weekly risks and issues meeting, we know the organizer is going to want the participants to have thought prior to coming to the meeting 
exactly what current risks and issues there are and any troubleshooting that they're trying to do, right? As an example of that. Participants should come prepared and follow the agenda. Participants should practice active listening and avoid multitasking. And if a participant is not able to attend, let the organizer know and provide your updates prior to the meeting. So that's very specific for these recurring ones. And then coming out of a meeting like that, the next steps would be organizers should summarize major decisions and action items, and everyone should review the organizer's recap and own respective action items. So to me, these requirements and next steps, they feel obvious, but by nature of us overtly stating this, training this, explaining this, to everybody in the company when they are onboarding, then that's when we have that ability to hold people accountable if something is going awry. Both the organizer and the participants need things that they need to do, right? Yep. Clear as kind. Clear as kind. (laughs) So, okay. I know you have, I believe, five or six different meeting types. And Mm -hmm. instead of us going through each of them, although I would love to do that, I think we'd be here for many, many moons too long for this audience. So I know you have a PDF of all these meeting types and of all the different requirements for the different meeting types. So everybody who is listening, if you want more information on sort of what they rolled out and what that looks like, you can actually go to the website, go to wanttoworkthere.com backslash episode 15. And there will be a downloadable there so that you can get all of this information and take it back and use what works and don't use what doesn't work. But that will hopefully give everybody a really clear sense of what you guys were able to do there. Yep. Great. So I know one of the things that you guys set out to do was to have less meetings and to give people some time back to work heads down, do things independently. Did that happen? I would say not drastically. We did identify meetings that either were inefficient and needed a refresh and improvement and could possibly be shorter, right? So that gives people time back. We didn't reduce a lot, but actually I was going to say at the end of this list of very specific red door meeting types, by nature of identifying the purpose of these meetings and exactly what your role is in them, it allowed us to think about who needs to be there and who doesn't need to be there. So some people get time back and it provides the people at red door with an understanding about why we have these meetings. Like they are important. We would not want to toss out dress rehearsals because they were taking up too much time because then our client presentation meetings would be in the dumps and we wouldn't get more business. So I think there are reasons to meet, right? And by Red Door taking the time to go through the exercise and identifying the types of meetings that were important to us, we are able to make the case for why we need these meetings and who should be there. And then I will say over time, especially again with those recurring meetings that sometimes get stale, I'll give you an example. We had an internal meeting called ownership thinking or performance scoreboard. And Redder were very transparent about our financials, about our profits, or when if, if our profits are taking a small dip and why that is and what we're doing. And 
we used to do them weekly and that was too much. And then we changed them to every other week and we got into a really great cycle of the first meeting of the month and it's open to everybody, but not required of everybody. So anybody in the company can come. They used to be an hour long twice a month and we had a very specific agenda for the first meeting of the month and the last meeting of the month. And then we decided that we could do it in half an hour per situation, especially if we got more pre-work done by the people who contributed the financial information. So then we morphed it into half hour twice a month. And I've actually just recently, I've stopped going to those because I've taken a step back out of that VP role. I'm working as more like a consultant or variable time worker. So I don't go to those, but I've actually just noticed that they now have it once a month. So they obviously, the meeting organizers got together and said, what could we do to make this just once a month and get all the information we need? And if there's something that we need to send out to the company, you know, halfway through the month, let's just do that and not require people to come and listen at a meeting. So we are not static with our meeting etiquette here. And if we see a way to give people more time and free things up, we do it. I love that. And that was actually going to be my last kind of follow-up question is, you know, I know you said you guys originally did this 10 years ago. There's obviously been iterations. You just gave an example of an iteration and an iteration that continues to happen. Asynchronous communication, which for those of you who maybe haven't heard that term, asynchronous communication is this idea that you are collecting data in a way that is accessible to people without requiring them to show up to a meeting and without requiring them to read it at a specific time. So it's this idea that there is a central information hub that people can access in the way that's best for them at the time that's best for them. Now, asynchronous does not work for everything for a lot of reasons that we won't go into. But as that became more common, as you guys navigated COVID, like did asynchronous communication or documented communication become part of this meeting conversation? Or had you guys already built in that piece through like, here's what the updates are that are going to come out of the meeting and here's how you do them? Like, what role has asynchronous communication played? Yeah. So I do think that from the beginning, when we first undertook this adventure with high-performance meetings, yes, we did consider what could we communicate asynchronously? What could we communicate by just push notification or a reminder that the data is here. Red Door in our marketing practices, we're very data oriented. And so we have business dashboards, that example of our performance scoreboard meetings going down to one day a month. It's probably because we have most of that content, most of that data in our Domo instance, which is a dashboarding tool that we use, right? So definitely that has always played a part. And also, I guess what I could say is we have a recognition that technology is always changing. I mean, now there are tools that transcribe notes, right? So even if you're meeting in not such a formal situation where a project manager is taking notes and figuring out action items, you can still get back to, if you're going to use a transcriber, you could get back to meeting notes and look at that. And also we record meetings as well, not just trainings and then require people to watch the training. We actually can record something that's an optional meeting 
And a person can go back and instead of spending 45 minutes listening to, you know, whatever topic it is that we recorded about, they could play it on one and a half speed or even two speed just to get the gist of it, just to hear what's going on, just to uh, pause and slow down and listen to the part that they really wanted to listen to. So there's always some sort of new technology that allows participants to find a way to be more actively understanding something, or if they can't be at something, then between the meeting organizer and the participant who says, hey, I'm sorry, I really can't come, you can make an agreement about how you're going to get that information, even if the meeting still has to happen. So a lot of interesting things going on in the world of meeting efficiency. Yes. And everything is changing all the time, which is both wonderful and a lot. (laughs) It is why we're (laughs) all so tired all the time because everything is always changing. No, I mean, I am so excited to get this episode out. I think the knowledge that you've shared, the specifics, the like practical application that you've shared is going to be just invaluable to people. I guess if I were to sort of put you on the spot a little bit. This was a lot. Like it was, I guarantee you a big undertaking that you did that took you months and with a team and, you know, you did sort of this whole thing. If someone isn't able to do the whole sort of outline that you described, is there sort of one next step or one micro behavior that you would really recommend people try? Yes, yes, yes. So in Every meeting invitation, whether you're creating the meeting invitation or you're helping meeting organizers improve their game, if you simply write a one-sentence purpose and a one-sentence desired outcome that you have for that meeting, getting those ideas into words recorded into the meeting notice, one, helps you as the meeting organizer understand exactly who should be in that meeting to fulfill on that purpose and desired outcome and provides you with an understanding of whether you need those participants to bring something with them, right? What do they need so that that's going to, those, the purpose and desired outcome come to pass. And you'll have an idea of what your next steps are going to be at the end of that meeting. You will have pre-thought about all of that. And then also, of course, because you included it in the meeting notice, your participants aren't guessing about whether or not they're even needed at this meeting. They're going to see in that purpose, in that desired outcome, the frame in which they know how to participate. Or they might have a question for you and say, hey, I see you want to accomplish this, And I don't know that I'm going to be able to participate or give anything to that. And what do you think? Should I really come or should I stay this one out? So that's it. Purpose and desired outcome. Put it in your meeting notices. It will get you halfway through all of these tips and tricks. It is so simple and it is such a huge game changer. I love that advice and I think it's something that feel very accessible to people, but could also make a huge impact. So thank you. That's perfect. You're welcome. 
Uh, Kate, thank you for being here. I already know that you're going to have to come back again because there's about eight other topics that we're going to talk about in the future. But just thank you for sharing your time and sharing your expertise. I know that this is going to be a really powerful episode for people. Very good. I was so glad to be here. Uh, Same. All right. Well, I hope everyone is doing well. I hope you guys get meetings that are short up and purposeful that, hey, maybe people are even excited to come to. You never know. And until next time, I hope you all are taking care of yourselves and taking care of your people. We'll talk soon. This show was brought to you by wanttoworkthere.com and the incredible team at Podcasting for Creatives. No individual or company acting alone can change our societal beliefs about work, but together we can create a new normal. If you like this episode, please consider passing it on to one or two people who share your passion for creating a better world of work. And until next time, please know I see you, I believe in you, and keep going. The work you're doing really matters.